Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. It's kind of interesting, uh, when you look at classic pop music songs over the decades, it reflects how all this tends to work. It starts one place and it ends in another. So I just want to have you walk through this process with me by looking at these songs, some of the lyrics from these songs. The first time ever I saw your face, you're just too good to be true, can't take my eyes off of you. I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me excitations. Bless my soul, what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man on a fuzzy tree. My friends say I'm acting wild as a bug. I'm in love. I'm all shook up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Something tells me I'm into something good. I got chills. They're multiplying, and I'm losing control because the power you're supplying, it's electrifying. Could it be I'm falling in love? Feeling stronger every day. Oh, baby, I love your way. Want to be with you night and day. I've got my mind set on you. You light up my life. You make me feel like dancing. Here I am, signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours. You ask me, there'll come a time when I grow tired of you. Never, my love. We've only just begun to live. Babe, I got you, babe. Love will keep us together. Don't go changing to try and please me. I love you just the way you are. You know, you and I travel to the beat of a different drum. You say yes, I say no. You say stop, I say go, go, go. Oh, no. You don't bring me flowers. You don't sing me love songs. It's there when you speak my name. It's just not the same. Ooh, baby, I'm losing you. Baby, where did our love go? You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Very good. Once upon a time, I was falling in love, but now I'm only falling apart. There's nothing I can do, a total eclipse of the heart. Set me free, why don't you, babe? Get out of my life, why don't you, babe? Bye-bye, love. Bye-bye, happiness. Hello, loneliness. I think I'm going to cry. Breaking up is hard to do. Love on the rocks. It's too late to apologize. It's too late. We are never, ever getting back together. Why do fools fall in love? I'll never fall in love again. Now that's what's going on in our culture. Isn't that amazing? How do you go from being over here to being over there? And there's a lot of things we could talk about. You know, when you get married, there's a lot of adjustments involved in all of that. Um, there's a lot of differing expectations we have of what a wife would be and a husband would be and a mom and a dad would be. There's difficulties that come in our relationships, so all of those things happen. But what we want to talk about tonight are three barriers or hurdles to maintaining our oneness together as husbands and wives. And we want to talk about the original blueprint for oneness. All this is in your notes. You can just kind of follow along and there'll be some fill in the blanks as we go. There should be some pens in the chairs backs in front of you. You notice it says in our notes here that the world's plan for marriage has obviously failed. We don't, I don't have to tell you that. And some of us have experienced these things. 
You know, the way the world's plan on marriage works, it ends up in legal divorce and emotional divorce. It ends up in withdrawal. Two people living in a house, no longer connected. It ends up with frustration and conflict. And the question is, really, what is God's plan to really accomplish everything he designed for marriage? How did he design the marriage relationship to make beautiful music? And so that's what we want to talk about. And when we're talking about this original blueprint for oneness, it states there that oneness is discovered as we receive our spouse as a gift from God. And that's really what we're going to talk about. Now, now what, we're, what we really need to do tonight is we really need to go back to the beginning, go back to the book of Genesis, which is really the headwaters of marriage. And so we're going to go back to that book of Genesis, and we're going to look at some three responsibilities in marriage that God lays out for us in the book of Genesis. And the first one is this. The first responsibility that we have as we're getting married is to leave, to establish independence from parents. And again, the book of beginnings says this, for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother. Something very special happens when we get married, right? Because we go from being the son of somebody to being the husband of somebody. We go from being the daughter of somebody to being the wife of somebody. And so the first responsibility in the plan that God has for marriage is that we are to leave. And number one says that leaving means to stop being dependent upon our parents, that we would cut our apron strings or or cut the purse strings, if you would. Now, that doesn't mean we can't occasionally get some help from our parents. I have three married children, um, and occasionally we give them some financial help. We're in that position in life now when they're struggling, or we were there at one time when we had virtually nothing. And so occasionally we will help them a little bit with some things. But if someone is chronically still dependent on parents, uh, we're missing the very first step in having a successful oneness marriage, and that is to leave. Now, number two says that leaving is to be done in the context of honoring and respecting one's parents. You know, the manner in which we leave is very important, but that's part of God's plan for marriage. And what often couples can struggle with is they don't ever get to this first step, really, where they are leaving their father and mother and cutting those dependency strings. And so when the first conflict comes up sometimes, Somebody calls mom or somebody calls dad or when there's a conflict, I'm going to go home. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. That's not God's original blueprint for marriage. What it really means there is number three, our spouse is to become our primary relationship in life. And so it's always good for any couple to say, I mean, could I be possibly talking more and more in depth with a parent than I am with my spouse? That's not leaving. And so while it's very basic, it's very important that we understand that the first key word of responsibility is the responsibility to leave. But we have a second key responsibility, and that is to cleave. Again, the book of beginnings says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife to establish commitment to one another. Now, I don't know how often any of us would ever use the verb cleave. It's not one that we use frequently in our culture. But if you look it up in the dictionary, what cleave means is to adhere firmly to something, to hold fast to something, to stick to something as if you were glued securely to it. And our culture is missing this part of cleaving. Because we have this attitude as a culture that, you know, you get married to somebody, it's sort of like, you know, like your first house, it's your first marriage, and, you know, as long as it seems to go good, and then we try something different. Uh, People have an attitude of marriage today that's very much like a a sticky note, you know, like this. Okay, I'm going to stick to this person for a little while. Oh, no, you know what, I think I'm tired of that. I'm going to stick to this person for a little while. No, I'm going to stick to this person over here a little while. That's the way the world's doing things, and that's not God's plan. The idea in God's plan 
is that we would cleave together. The idea is to form a permanent bond. And that has to be the attitude and perspective we have in marriage if we're going to experience God's plan for oneness. Now, I want to show you a a movie clip. It's from the movie Fireproof. And in this particular conversation, in this uh, clip, there's a conversation between Caleb, who is married to Catherine, and Caleb is speaking with Michael. They are firefighters. And Caleb and Catherine are thinking about getting divorced. They're actually contemplating getting divorced. And in this conversation, as Caleb is talking with Michael, Michael is going to grab some super glue and he's going to grab salt and pepper shaker and he's going to illustrate this principle. Check the screen. What is it? Catherine know? I'm not going to tell her. If she wants to go ahead and file, that's up to her. Divorce is a hard thing, man. Well, if it brings peace. But Caleb, you want the right kind of peace. What do you mean by that? Do you know what that ring on your finger means? It means I'm married. Yeah, well, it also means you made a lifelong covenant. You putting on that ring while saying your vows. The sad part about it is when most people promise for better or for worse, they really only mean for the better. Catherine and I were in love when we got married. But today, <clears throat> we're two very different people, all right? It's just not working out anymore. Caleb, salt and pepper are completely different. Their makeup is different, their taste and their color. But you always see them together. And when you... Hold on just a second. What are you doing? Michael. What'd you do that for? Caleb, when two people get married, it's for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health. I know that, but marriages aren't fireproof. Sometimes you get burned. Fireproof doesn't mean that a fire will never come, but that when it comes, you'll be able to withstand it. You didn't have to glue them together. Don't do it, Caleb. If you pull them apart now, you'll break either one or both of them. I am not a perfect person, but better than most. And if my marriage is failing, it is not all my fault. But Caleb, man, I've seen you run into a burning building and save people you don't even know. But you're going to let your own marriage just burn to the ground. Michael, you are my friend. And I've allowed you to speak freely with me on this job. Don't abuse it. Now, you tell me. Super glue, a little plastic, salt and pepper shakers together. If you go to tear them apart, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Can't hear anybody. Yeah, it's going to break. Exactly. And that's, that's why divorce causes brokenness. Because God designed the marriage relationship to be where we would be permanently bonded together. So when we tear that apart, it leads to broken hearts. It leads to broken people. It leads to broken kids. And so it's very important if we're going to understand marriage from God's perspective, we must follow his plan. And I want to go deeper into this idea of of them being glued together as individuals. Notice it says in your notes, revisiting the garden illustrates the principle of cleaving to your spouse. And again, we're going back to the The headwaters to the book of beginnings, Lotus letter A says, God created Adam with an unmet need. Adam was, here's a word that goes in the blank, alone, exactly. Notice the book of beginnings says, then the Lord God said, 
It is not good, you might underline those two words, for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Number one says, up to this point in creation, God had said that everything was good, if you remember the story. It's almost like God creates things and he goes on this inspection tour and he says, you know, sun, moon, and stars, good. Seas and rivers, good. Sea animals, good. All the land and the vegetation, good. All the land animals, good. But man being alone, not good. And notice the second point says that, I don't know if you thought about this before, but Adam had several advantages over modern man. Think about this for a moment. He had a perfect relationship with God, did he not? Absolutely. He lived in a perfect world There were no cavities, there were no allergies, there were no debts, there were no computer viruses, there were not economic problems, there weren't politicians, none of those things existed. And on top of that, he didn't even have to worry about what to wear every day. So what's really going on here? Well, notice number three. It explains why this is not good. And by the way, many people miss this point in, in letter C. God chose to build a unique need into Adam that was not met by God's personal presence alone. And you know, you can, you can add your own name into there. God chose to build a unique need into Bruce that was not met by God's personal presence alone. God chose to build a unique need into Janet that was not met by God's personal presence alone. And God wanted to really underscore this, that he had a plan. So, letter B, God showed Adam his need. This is a a fun deal. Book of Beginnings. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. This, men and women, is the very first drama in all of human history a little drama that God put together. And so God gave Adam the assignment of naming all the animals. And uh, that was really quite a job to name all of the animals, all of the cattle, all of the birds of the sky, all of the beasts of the field. And I don't know about you, but this is just the way I, I am. I tend to imagine that this is the first man and he had a lot of those man characteristics. And so I think when God came to him and said, here's, my, here's what I want you to do. I want you to name all of the animals. And I just think, Adam goes, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Watch me do this, God. I got my act together. And as I use my imagination, I think it went off something like this. At the beginning, as the animals began to parade in in front of Adam, if things went very much like this. As they came by, he would say, anteater, antelope, duck-billed platypus. Yeah, aardvark, on and on and on. And he's kind of this cocky guy, you know, just as the, you know, come on, bring it on, Lord. Bring the animals by. I don't know how many hours later. I picture it going something more like this as they came by. Bat, cat, rat, gnat. Yak, you know. But here's what's interesting. God had a plan in all of this because he was communicating a message. Notice number two says, Adam saw his own need as he named the animals. As they came by, he was noting something about what was happening. He saw bull and cow. He saw buck and doe. He saw ram and ewe. And he noticed they were having more fun in the bushes than he was. And it came to him. Notice number three says, there was not found a helper suitable for Adam. But let her see, God provided for Adam's need by creating Eve. Again, the book of beginnings, 
tells us, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Now, ladies, especially, I want you to look at this text of the Word of God because this is where we have the biblical basis for men taking a nap. It's right in the Bible. Do you not see it there? But the key point here is that God provided for Adam's need. Uh, Adam slept through the whole thing, but God was at work. And notice number one says that God fashioned Eve to be suitable for Adam. God did not create a big screen TV with a fabulous remote or a boat or a computer, but what he provided was an aloneness fighter for Adam. And then God presented Eve to Adam, and we have really here a picture of a wedding where the gift is Eve and the giver is God. And that's what's interesting about a marriage is the gift and the giver are intertwined in that relationship. Put a little star by number two. It says, Adam's perspective of God, underline those three words, perspective of God, enabled him to receive his spouse as God's perfect provision for him. And then we have the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. One of the things that drives me a little nuts sometimes is when we, we look at the Bible, we just read it like, I don't know, it was some sort of a deep, wordy, science textbook or something. Adam said this excitedly. He said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In Hebrew, the word for man is ish. The feminine ending is ah. She shall be called isha because she was taken out of ish. He was saying, she is a feminine version of me. He was basically saying this. Wow. Same thing backwards. Wow. He was saying, Eve, you're the only woman in the world for me. Let's see if you're still awake with me, okay? He was extremely pumped when God made this provision. And so notice letter A says, in this passage, God illustrates the cornerstone principle. Put a box around those words, cornerstone principle for marriage. What is the function of a cornerstone when you build something? Yeah, keep it straight. A cornerstone, you build everything else off of the cornerstone. And so we have here the cornerstone principle for marriage. And here it is. We must choose to receive our spouse as God's perfect provision for us. And of course, the basis for one's reception of a spouse is faith in God's integrity, the trustworthiness of God's character. Now, I know a lot of you. I don't know everybody that's here tonight, but it's possible... When we start talking about marriage and this cornerstone principle of receiving our spouse as God's perfect provision for us, some of you might be thinking, you know what, Bruce, let me just, you don't really know our story, Hess, you know. You don't really know our history. We know where we are now, but when we look back on it, we're not sure God was anywhere near it when we came together. And maybe you're thinking that, I don't know. And there's some truth to that. I really may not know your history and I may not know your story, but there are some things that I do know. I do know that even our negative choices that we make in life, God knew about before we were even born. I know that. I know that God is able to take that which is crooked and to make it straight. I know that. 
And I know that he is so incredibly sovereign that he can incorporate even negative choices we might make in his, into his providential plan. The cornerstone principle we must choose to receive our spouse is God's perfect provision for us. What did Adam do? Well, Adam enthusiastically accepted Eve because he knew and trusted God, not because of Eve's performance. You know, so our spouse is a good and gracious gift from God and is to be received as a provision from him. And notice it says receiving our spouse is not not based on our spouse's performance. I mean, after all, Eve had never whipped up a meal. He didn't know whether she could make a decent garden salad or not. That's the cornerstone principle. So we're working our way just through this original blueprint for us being one together in marriage. And we've talked about how we are to leave, right? And then the second one is we are to cleave. And then there is a third responsibility, or I like to write it over the word responsibility, reward, and that is to become one flesh. Again, the book of beginnings goes on to say, they leave their father and mother and cleave to one another, and they shall become one flesh. And so the physical union is an expression of oneness with the total person. You know that something is born every single wedding day? Yeah. A he and a she becomes a we. And that is part of the plan that God has. And notice number two says, the result of leaving, cleaving, and becoming one flesh is intimacy with one another or oneness, being naked and not ashamed. Again, book of beginnings, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right, now we're just going to freeze frame right there. Relatively simple plan, correct? We are to leave, to cleave, become one flesh together. That's God's plan for marriage and the way that it's supposed to work, being one together. How come that doesn't really work that way in every case? Uh, why is it difficult to receive one's spouse as God's gift to them? What's the problem? Well, we want to look at some hindrances to receiving our spouse as God's gift. Three barriers that make it difficult to receive our spouse as a gift from God. So we're going to look at these, all right? You ready to do it? We're being real here now, not just being theoretical. The first hindrance or barrier that makes it difficult to receive our spouse as a gift from God is our natural differences, our natural differences, and there's some in the box there, gender differences, backgrounds, temperaments, roles, perspectives, preferences. Notice the book of beginnings says, and God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. You know, when I went to the University of Nebraska, I was uh, coming there to um, study broadcast journalism, and I came to realize that God is in the broadcast business. I don't know if you've thought of it that way, but he is. And he broadcasts 24 hours a day, 60 minutes every hour he's broadcasting. It's just that we don't always notice it. For example, you know, it says in the New Testament that the heavens declare the glory of God, right? Right? As you look around at creation, it just screams, there is a creator, there is a creator, there is a creator, there is a creator. Now, we don't often hear that broadcast because maybe we're just so caught up with life. Maybe we go out and we see some beautiful mountains or we're at this incredible beach scene, you know, with white sand and clear water, and we're going, wow, what a creator. Maybe you see this incredible sunset. You know, we go down for our uh, speaker training every year in January down in Florida. Uh, the place we've been staying is right out on the Gulf looking to the west. And so every, every evening, there's this incredible sunset. Everybody comes out. Everybody gets out of their rooms and they're out there and they're just watching and snapping pictures and everything else. 
When we see these, those things, we're, we're reminded that God is a creator. There is a creator. There is a creator. And, and there's so many ways that we get reminded of that. You know, the complexity of how our ear operates, the complexity of how our eye operates. Even some of the surgery that I went through this last year, I learned something more about the incredible design of the human body and the way that it works. It's astonishing. You start looking at some of these things and you think, there's no way there can't be a creator. It's just too complicated. The design is so intricate. God's in the broadcasting business. And God is in the broadcasting business when it comes to our natural differences. You notice it says there, male and female, he created them. And God, even though our society is trying to convince us otherwise, God is in the broadcasting business every single day. He's broadcasting. Major different, major different, male and female, major different. It's always being broadcast 24 hours a day, 60 minutes every hour. You say, well, how? I, don't, I don't get that. I don't know what. Well, let me ask you this question. Have you noticed, have you noticed as males and females that our bodies are have you noticed that? You, you know, our, our sexual organs, as part of God's creation, he could have created them all to be internal. <laughs> but he didn't do that. And it's just a reminder, male and female. I made you male and female, male and female. So every single day, you know, when if you're married and you're there with your spouse and you're, you're getting ready in the morning, it's just like broadcasting. Male and female. I made you different, male and female. And we are different. We are different. The society may try to tell us, no, we are exactly, no, no. God made them male and female. We have a friend of ours who uh, serves with us in family life. His name is Jerry Foster, and he had fraternal twins. One was a boy and one was a girl. Uh, Ryan was the guy, and Brooke was the girl. And when they were three years old, Ryan and Brooke were in the bathroom, and Ryan turned to his sister, Brooke, and said to her, why don't you stand up when you go to the bathroom? And Brooke turned to him and said, well, I don't have a penis. And Ryan said, pray to Jesus and he'll give you one. <laughs> oh, kids, kids, different male and female. And you know, the studies show that that's really true. And I don't need to belabor it too much, but it's just true. You know, there was a University of Harvard study that did something very interesting to me. They went to elementary school playgrounds and they audio recorded the kids playing on the playground. You know what they found out? When they recorded the speech of the girls in elementary school, 100% of the girls' speech was intelligible. Only 60% of the boys' speech was intelligible. The rest of it was a bunch of sounds they would be making, you know, shooting sounds. Choo, 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 choo. You know, we're just different. I remember when I was in elementary school, we liked to pretend that we were driving these motorcycles with the big ape hanger handles, you know, and we would just be going, bum, 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 You know, we go right through all the girls thinking we're so cool. Bum, 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 bum. You think I'm cool? Bum, 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 bum. We're just different, right? Male and female, I made you, and we are different. You see it all over the place. I don't know if you ever go with some friends to, like, an OU football game. Great illustration, an OU football game. And you're there with a group of friends. And suddenly, one of the gals gets up, and she says, I am going to go to the restroom. Anyone want to go? And half of the section gets up, and they all go off to the restroom. And they're talking all the way there. They're talking while they're in there, and they're talking on their way back. Now, can you imagine? I'm with a bunch of guys, and I say, Rick, Jim, I'm going to the restroom. Anyone want to come with me? You know, they're going to look at me like, what truck did you fall off of? We're just different. 
And by the way, ladies, that restroom compared to this restroom is different. I'm going to give you a little insight, ladies. We have some rules in the men's room when we go in, the, in, in there. There's really two key rules. Rule number one is don't talk. Rule number two is eyes straight ahead at all times. Do not violate these rules. I get the biggest kick out of going into the men's room on Sunday, and I just start gabbing away. And you can just, you can kind of see it. It's like, wait a second, you don't talk in here. What is he doing talking right now? We are so very different as men and women. But notice number one says, the differences are not hindrances to achieving God's purposes in your marriage. Rather, differences are God's tools to teach us to trust him and his goodness. And you know what's really interesting? Because we are different as male and female, when you take a male and a female and you have them married and become glued together, guess what? You're better. You're better together. That's part of God's plan. When you come together, we are better together. And by the way, I'm going to mention some, some books every once in a while. I'm not trying to, I don't have any of these for you to buy, but you can get them on Amazon. But these are really helpful. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about differences between um, men and women, Shanti Feldhahn and her husband Jeff on one particular book have written these two books. Um, the first one by Shanti Feldhahn is called For Women Only, What You Need to Know About the Inner Lives of Men, The Way Males Think. And then together they wrote the book, For Men Only, A Straightforward Guide to the Inner Lives of Women, The Way Women Think. These are great tools. You know, one time I, I flashed these tools at a weekend to remember marriage conference. I had a guy come up to me afterwards and he said, Bruce, oh my gosh. He said, we've been married for 25 years and we had all kinds of conflict over our gender differences and he said, we read those books, and it was like lights went on. And he said, I would have done anything. I would have paid anything to know that 25 years ago. And so that becomes a hindrance to our oneness, our male and female differences. Now, that's the first barrier. We are male and we are female. There's a second barrier, and that is our natural weaknesses, our natural weaknesses, and you might just put several stars beside this one. This is an important one. And notice it says, weaknesses are not justification for rejecting our spouse. Rather, number two, weaknesses have divine purposes, let's underline that, in our lives, and I want you to see something. This is a very, very helpful chart. And a lot of times we don't understand this element. But you'll notice there's a list of weaknesses there. Impatient, indecisive, overly talkative, disorganized, critical spirit, demanding. What is really interesting about all of those weaknesses and every weakness that you have or your spouse may have it has a corresponding strength to the weakness. So I'll just let you fill in the blanks here. The weakness of being impatient, the corresponding strength to that is to be goal-oriented, determined. Goal-oriented, determined. The weakness of being indecisive, the corresponding strength to that is easygoing and steady. The weakness of being overly talkative, I would describe the flip side strength of that as expressive communicator. Expressive communicator. The weakness of being disorganized, flip side strength. People person, people person. Weakness of being or having critical spirit, corresponding strength, analytical analytical. And then the weakness of being demanding, the corresponding strength 
being assertive, being a decision maker. Now, here's what's really interesting about all of this, and that is that when we find our spouse, we are attracted by their strength. And then what we tend to do, though, over some time is to get focused on the flip side of that strength and get riveted on the weakness. Now, I, I just have to have you know that when I met my wife, Janet, even that first time I met her, that first semester, I thought, that is the coolest girl I have ever seen. She is so incredible. And then when we got together the next year, and even after she had trusted Christ, we began to know one another. I thought, this girl is so cool. She's just cool on cool on cool. She's perfect. She's absolutely perfect. And you know, you get married. And then you've been married for a while to the perfect match. And then you begin to notice some things. You're going like, I never really saw that before. Good night, Louise. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. And then we get so focused on that weakness that eventually what ends up happening is we take out this little thing. And we begin to say, I'm just going to really feel, oh, my gosh. Look at that. Oh, you look at that. Can you believe that? And then after a while, we're not satisfied with that, you know, and then we got to find a bigger one. And then we really get riveted on that weakness, and that's all we see, that weakness. We've lost sight of the corresponding strength. Now, I'm going to take a little informal poll. How many people want somebody else, when it comes to your weakness, to pull one of these things out and get totally riveted on it? How many want? No, yeah, nobody wants that. But we tend to do that with one another. We get riveted on the weakness. We get totally super focused on it, and that's all we want to talk about. And men and women, I, again, I don't know where you're coming from, but I think for some of us, the greatest thing we can do after tonight is to just throw this thing away. You don't want someone doing that to you, and we need to stop doing it to our spouse. You know, Janet, she's a very easygoing people person. She's very spontaneous. She loves to organize and to, to get organized. But she can get easily distracted. Now, some of you have known me longer than others, and so most of you will know that I'm, I'm a little on the analytical side. You know, I do a lot of research. I do a lot of research when it comes to buying things. And, and to be honest with you, some of my friends, even when they want to go buy something, they just call me up and say, what should I go buy? What, which one should I go buy? And a lot of times I have an answer for that. And because I'm analytical, I have systems. And, you know, systems are good. Like, for example, I, I noticed this would go on in our house. When we moved into this house that we're in in 1988, it has a rather large pantry. There'd be no excuse that we're ever out of anything when you have a large pantry. It's a walk-in pantry. And so I would go into the pantry, you know, at a certain time. Maybe I'm looking for a, I don't know, a can of tuna fish or something. I go in there, there's no tuna fish here. Like, what in the world? I can solve this problem. So, I, you know, I get a pad, one of those pads with a, you know, magnet on it, and we put it on the refrigerator, hanging right there. And then the idea is that when you go into, some of you are laughing, all right, but you, you go into the pantry and you're, Taking the last item, you walk over and you write it on the list, correct? Isn't this the way that you should do things? And you write it on the list, and then when it comes time to go shopping, what do you do? You go over and you tear the list off, and you go and you know everything that you're supposed to buy. It's a simple process. So, you know, I've got this whole system worked out, and uh, I go into the pantry. I'm looking around for a can of tuna fish. There's no can. 
I come to my wife, what's going on? How come there's not a can of tuna fish in here when there ought to be a can of tuna fish in here? Or maybe it's bread, a loaf of bread in, the, in there. And she might say to me, well, I was in a hurry when I and took the last one and I forgot to write it down. Or maybe this is another one. You know, it was on the list, but she spontaneously decided to go to the grocery store and left the list on the refrigerator. And, you know, because I'm analytical, it's very easy for me when you take that strength and you flip it around to become critical. And it's easy for me, if I allow it to, to have that degenerate. You know, when I would say to her, when she, you know, go through this whole thing, or whatever it was, whether she forgot the list or she didn't put on the list, you know, and I would just say, I can't believe this. We have a plan here. Let's work the plan. And you know, when I've, a couple of times when I've done that to my wife, she will say something like this to me. Well, it's just the pantry. Have you ever missed a meal yet? You got me. Now, here's what's interesting. If we're not careful, we can justify our focus on that flip side weakness. And it can just cause fissures in our relationship. And those natural weaknesses, do you think God knew about them? Anybody think God knew about them? Anybody think God knew about them? Are you all still here? Yeah, God knew about them. Guess what? He uses them. He uses them to force us to grow. To force us to mature. He uses them to force us to depend on him. He used them to teach us how we need to show grace to one another. Because they have weaknesses and I have weaknesses. Now, there is a third hindrance to this original blueprint for oneness. We've seen our natural differences and our natural weaknesses. Here's the third one, and this is our natural, this is the S word, self-centeredness, self-centeredness. Number one says we must admit that we are selfish. So let's just say that out loud together. We're going to do it three times in a row. We're going to actually say together in unison, if not together, I am selfish. Are you ready? Here we go. I am selfish. One more time. I am selfish. One more time, a little bit of gusto. I am selfish. Don't you just feel better now? You've come clean. Public confession right here with a hundred other people. We have this natural self-centeredness, and receiving our spouse is demonstrated by placing, uh-oh, look at this one, our spouse's needs ahead of our own I wonder what would happen in a relationship between a husband and wife if she put his needs above her own and he put her needs above her own. I wonder, I, I wonder what would happen. Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you... How many people are included in the phrase, each of you? That includes you and that includes me. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. It's amazing. We have these three hurdles. Our natural differences, our natural weaknesses, our natural self-centeredness. And because people don't have a handle on those things, they have a tendency to unravel marriage relationships. Despite all these hurdles, God is the giver of the gift, and that's why letter D says, to reject our spouse in any way is to do one of four things. And you'll notice in each of these statements that are there, the word God appears. You might circle the word God in every one of them. To reject your spouse in any way is to, number one, reject God and his provision for our life. Number two, 
reflect negative, negatively on the character of God. We're basically saying to God, you know, somehow you really messed up when you, when you allowed us to come together. You, you really messed up. You should have, I mean, come, come on. To reject our spouse in any way is to, number three, demonstrate unbelief and disobedience toward God. And number four, to reject our spouse in any way is to fail to fulfill God's plan for marriage. Because you see, men and women, you cannot reject the gift without rejecting the giver. Letter E. God uses our natural differences, weaknesses, and selfishness to build oneness. It's just, that's an amazing statement. The issue, men and women, in, in marriage is not compatibility. The issue is commitment, cleaving to one another. Because no two people are perfectly compatible. I love the words of G.K. Chesterton. He is a gentleman from across the Atlantic Ocean. And here's part of what he wrote. He says, if Americans can be divorced for incompatibility, I cannot conceive why they are not all divorced. I have known many happy marriages, but never a compatible one. What a powerful statement this is. The whole aim of marriage is to fight through and survive the instant when incompatibility becomes unquestionable. Wow. Wow. I want to show you another clip. It comes out of the movie The Incredibles. And remember, we have natural differences, right? We have natural weaknesses, and there's some selfishness. And yet in the midst of all of that, if we really understand that we're better together, it gets us to some place we'll never be individually. Check out the screen. How are you doing, honey? Do I have to answer? Kids, strap yourself down like I told you. Which exit do I take? Traction Avenue. That'll take me downtown. I take seven, don't I? Don't take seven! Great! We missed it! You asked me how to get there and I told you. Exit at Traction. That'll take me downtown. He's coming up. Get in the right lane. Take we don't exit at Traction! You're gonna miss it! Stay hidden. I'm going in. While what? I watch helplessly from the sidelines? I don't think so. I'm asking you to wait with the kids. And I'm telling you, not a chance. You're my husband. I'm with you. For better or worse. I have to do this alone. What is this to you? Playtime? No. So you can be Mr. Incredible again? No. Then what? What is it? I'm not... Not what? I'm, I'm not strong enough. Strong enough. And this will make you stronger? Yes. No. That's what this is? Some sort of workout? I can't lose you again. If we work together, you won't have to be. I don't know what will happen. Hey, we're superheroes. What could happen? <laughs> Boy, it just comes through. It's better together. And that's the way God made it. You know what I really love the most about that clip? I don't know if you noticed it or not. But did you notice where the eyes of the kids were? Right on mom and dad. Because we're learning. They're learning about marriage by watching us. Their eyes are right on us. 
so very, very important. Here's what we're asking you to do, letter F. As an act of your will, you must receive, not just accept your spouse as God's gift, key words to underline, made personally for you to meet your specific aloneness needs. Notice it says there, receive, not just accept. You know, a traffic ticket is something that you accept. An IRS penalty is something that you accept. If the prize patrol shows up on your front porch, that's something that you receive. It's a whole different perspective and a whole different attitude. And the gift of our spouse is of immense value because it's a gift that comes from God. So we're asking this key question, will you choose to look to God as the giver of good gifts and receive your spouse as his perfect gift for you? Your marriage and your spouse is a good thing. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Some of you may be remarried. You're thinking, wait a minute, how does this work? Was the first spouse like my, you know, my gift? Or I mean, I, am I lost here? Or, no, well, listen, it's whatever relationship you're in, that's the perspective we are to have. If you're remarried, it's your current spouse. We need a view as God's gift to be the perfect gift for you. And, and again, I don't know everybody's situation. I don't know where you are in the flow of, of life. When we start talking about that, will you choose to look to God as the giver of good gifts and receive your spouse of his perfect gift for you? That may be some of, that may be hard for some of you to do right now. Time, space, history, Wednesday night may be a hard thing because there's been some hurt recently. And I just want you to know we're not asking you to feel good about it. We're asking you to consider as an act of your will to do what God says is best. Summary statement, our perspective of God enables us to receive our mate as his gift. Question number one, if you don't know in the first part of it, is God big enough to make the best out of your worst situations? Uh, yeah. I've seen it happen thousands of times. Will you trust God as Adam did? That's the key question. Now, here's what's going to be a little bit unique about what we're going to do coming out of tonight, and that is that you actually have a little bit of homework to do you have an application project. And if you'll notice in your notes, there's an application project. First, a couple of pages for married couples. And then there's an application project for pre-married couples. And if we take the married couple one first, there's an individual section. In fact, there is in all of these. And then there is an interaction section. So the first page on the, on the married one says, spend some time in prayer. You know, there's several things we want you to do. And then part number two in the individual section is we want you to write a love letter to your spouse. And some of you who are guys are going like, oh my gosh, I just broke out into a sweat. A love letter. Well, what we've done is we've given you some guidelines, some bullet points there to write out. And so you write out this love letter, use a blank sheet of paper, Write out your love letter. And then there's the interaction section where you actually read your letter to one another. You go over to the pre-married couples. Um, we have, uh, you, you write out some answers to some questions. And then in your interaction section, you get together and you go over all of those things. Now, we all live life in the fast lane. And it can be very easy to have a little project like this and, and say, yeah, we'll do that. Well, then we don't quite get to it. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask all of us as guys, guys, we're going to take the lead and the responsibility to make sure this gets done. And I would love for you to do it tonight. If you can't do it tonight, maybe you've got to go home and put a bunch of kids to bed and all kinds of stuff are going on. Maybe you have sick kids at home and everything else. It's got to be done. And... We're going to put the deadline on this as Sunday. It's got to be done by Sunday. I don't, want, I don't want us on Tuesday night doing this project. But I will be asking you as a group, how did your project go? 
And so, guys, we're responsible to make sure that we get it done, right? Sound good? Everybody agree? All right, let me pray. Father, we just thank you for everybody. We thank you for these couples. We thank you for your perspective on marriage from your word. We thank you for the astonishing plan you have for marriage. That somehow it's a mystery to me that you can take all these natural differences we have, the weaknesses we have, the selfishness we have, and you use it to grow us together and to grow us up individually. We would pray that we would remember that our kids' eyes, for those of us who have children at this point, are on us at all times. And may we be setting the right kind of example, not perfection, but just continue to pursue a oneness relationship with one another. And may you be pleased as we build marriage relationships that people around us in our work, in our neighborhood, can look to and say it can work because they need to see models. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. We'll see you, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. We're going to talk about conflict. Anybody have any conflicts in the relationship? We're talking about that. See you then. L is for the way you look at me. O is for